Welcome to A Dog Called Diversity, a podcast from the Culture Ministry, where we explore the themes of diversity, equity and inclusion through sharing stories of personal and powerful lived experiences, including how people have found their feet and developed their career in diversity and inclusion. We're so glad you're listening in. And if you need some help or support with your diversity and inclusion work, go to www.thecultureministry.com for more information. In this episode, we are thrilled to bring you an inspiring conversation with Charlotte Wilkinson, a leader in the field of diversity and inclusion in Singapore. With her global cultural insights and a strong grasp of data and metrics, Charlotte brings a fresh perspective to DNI, noting that different factors drive inclusion for different people. These factors include recognition, access to senior talent, benefits offered, and flexibility. Join us for an engaging conversation on how we can improve our approach to measuring inclusion. Here's your host, Lisa Mulligan. Welcome to A Dog Called Diversity. This week, I have the incredible Charlotte Wilkinson, who is in Singapore. Hi, Charlotte. Hello. Hello. (laughs) So I've known Charlotte for a little while, probably five years, six years, maybe a bit longer. And she's pretty cool. She is a diversity and inclusion leader across the region. But what I love about Charlotte is she comes from a very different background to many DNI leaders. So I, w- I would say most DNI leaders probably have a HR background in some form. Um, but Charlotte has a very different background and I think one that's very useful in DNI work. So why don't you start Charlotte and maybe give us a bit of an overview of your career and how you came to live in Asia. Uh, hello. So um, yeah, I'm Charlotte. I have basically been based in Asia about 20 years now. Um, I started my career in, actually I started in Paris. I wow. studied um, I studied uh, languages and management at university in the UK and that included uh, a significant time overseas which meant I was working in Paris. Uh, funny enough I was working on the Y2K solution which obviously oh, didn't, wow. <laughs> didn't ever really happen. No. But, Really understanding kind of clients' issues, uh, preparation for some sort of big events was uh, the first role I had in, in Paris and then ended up um, sort of working elsewhere. Um, going back to UK, I worked in um, Insight, so a qualitative and quantitative work in a brand consultancy um, for a very large group um, who's then been acquired and acquired and acquired by lots of other people. But um, my kind of last big roles um, in the UK were with WPP. And um, they bought a business in China, a qualitative well, a research business, and they were basically looking for people to volunteer to go out to China. I had been to China at the time. I was quite young, uh, recently single, <laughs> and thought that, yeah, China <laughs> seems like a great uh, opportunity to, to take on. Um, so, yeah, I went to China for one year, and obviously a few decades later, I'm still in, in Asia. But I think it's also where... A lot of the start of my um, kind of interest in equality um, became, I guess, more and more prevalent for me. Um, just to go back again, my my mum has disabilities as a result of a pretty horrific car crash um, 
over 30 years ago. So I'd already been kind of aware of some of the issues my mum had as um as a sort of a disabled person, uh, accessibility needs in the public, um, you know, how she was dealt with by banks and airlines and that sort of thing. So I, I guess as a carer and as a as a family member of somebody with with needs, it's always been kind of um on you know, always been something I've thought about. Um but really when I was in China and kind of recognizing huge cultural differences and the big differences in terms of pay between expats and locals and and things like that was where I started to see you know some really opportunities for understanding um ultimately or kind of my last big corporate role was um running the region for an MNC Saatchi group and um, brand consulting which was again it's it's using insight and cultural understanding to drive strategies coming up with a strategy and innovation to drive solutions for clients um and I, I was doing that for a long time and then I saw an opportunity myself in addressing women that actually a lot of the projects I'd worked on were very female focused and um yeah from infant formulas to baby wear to um, <laughs> women's healthcare. I worked on an awful lot of projects in those sort of spaces and recognized there was no one, who, no one in the region who was just women focused. So I launched my own agency called Hello Sister, which did projects, the same kind of thing I've been doing, but was only um, businesses who were targeting women, which obviously should be every business. We're yes. more than 50%, we're more than 50% of the of audience, but we're also on the most part, probably about 70% decision maker for most most um sectors so yeah I was doing that for a long time and then clients kind of started asking me really about why you understand women can you also help us understand Mm -hmm. with our workforce as well and it's when you know me too was rising um I think when DNI in this region was starting to get a bit more popular um yeah so I started to do projects that were more DNI focused and then kind of went went all in about four years ago nearly five years ago now and that's when I met you (laughs) Yay. <laughs> Yay. I love that. You know, at the start, I said a lot of people come to DNI work often through HR type roles because you're already dealing with people and organizations go, well, you're already doing that. So we'll, we'll add in another thing. Um, the other place a lot of DNI leaders come from, I think, is They've shown an interest in the work. They might be as part of an employee resource group, but they're working in a different part of the business and they they enter that way. Um, and there's advantages and disadvantages for both those paths into DNI. Um, but you brought a really different path. So what do you think is the advantage of your background in DNI work? I think um I think cultural understanding is huge, especially in in this region. Um, so we we are very very diverse and trying to understand diversity and inclusion across very very diverse a very very diverse region. Mm. Um, so I think my experience of working across so many countries and markets and different audiences, different groups of people, so not just white collar workers, but kind of you know everyday folks in um, in lots of markets. That I think that brought a lot of understanding. I'm I'm never going to profess to be an expert on Japan. I'm never going to be an expert in India. But what I am very good at is kind of understanding to a certain level across lots of markets. Um, so I think that that kind of cultural understanding, knowing the right questions to ask is, is quite key, I think. Um, I think also for me, 
um, coming from insight, understanding data really, really well. Like I can write a survey very, very quickly. Uh, I understand the stats and analytics involved to really drive kind of metrics and understand and create metrics. Again, that's something I did for 20 odd years, kind of uh, part of consultancy. So I think that's really important. I think we're going to need to know data more and more than ever before. Mm-hmm. And, and I also, I believe it's, it's, pushing data and challenging data so it's not just about taking what you what's available today it's actually pushing boundaries and going why can't we measure it like this why can't we do this why can't we collect data in different ways um and again that kind of comes from the researcher in me um the other thing i think is uh you know stakeholder management when you come from consultancy and agency you're always stakeholder managing multiple clients different time scales different priorities not just within the same business, but sometimes you've got three or four clients at once you're trying to kind of juggle and uh, and balance things. So I think that kind of how you deal with that has been has been quite critical. Uh, and then I guess the final thing that I, I think I'm quite good at is kind of more the innovation side that, um, yeah, we, it's always challenging boundaries. Why can't I do something different? Why do we always have to do this? Uh, and I appreciate in, you know, huge organizations, it's not always easy to do that. And I, I've kind of found that myself being in a huge organization, <laughs> but also in smaller businesses, um, you know, you don't always have the same budget as other people. So how do you do something differently? What do you how do you make the most of what I've got, whether it's time, whether it's resources, whether it's budget? How do I do something different? Um, and how can I be impactful? Kind of, yeah, how do you maximize whatever you're doing? rather than just taking what it, everything is at face value and doing the same thing you did last year. So yeah, I think it's a, a little bit attitude, but it's a little bit experience as well. It's all about pushing boundaries and doing things differently, is, which is not going to work for every role. I I, I understand that. Um, but yeah. certainly the ones I've been in, that's been what's demanded, that you are doing something different and you are trying to change things. Um, yeah. 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 There were two things that you touched on. So one was stakeholder management and the other was budget and I'm going to release my uh, salary and market survey for DNI people very soon it's I'm just doing the final polish and they are the being able to influence stakeholders and influence leaders and having budget to execute are the two biggest challenges that have come out this year um, and they're very similar to last year's survey um yeah, so it was interesting to hear you say those two things because I think people go into DNI thinking I'm going to I'm going to solve the world's problems, you know, I'm going to make workplaces a better place and I think we all want to do that. But the reality is if you're not good at stakeholder management, if you can't influence people, if you can't get people to do things differently, you're going to struggle. Um and the same with budget. Um often it's being able to present a cohesive plan to get the budget to do the things you, you need to do. What are some of the other challenges that you've seen in some of the big organisations that you've worked in? I think prioritisation is just so hard. I think if most DNI people have got a list of like, you know, 30 items long that they want to probably do, how do you prioritise that across a region? Uh, yeah. You might have 20,000 people in one country and only 15 in another, but your levels of inclusion may be very different across those markets. How do I prioritize women versus accessibility needs? How do I prioritize my time versus yeah. what I can delegate? I think that's the biggest, that's the biggest issue that probably most people face. Um, and it's, it's not a simple answer, but again, for me, having 
helped clients launch products and launch um, strategies. It's finding a common ground. How can we do the most with what we've got? How can we, where do we get the biggest reach? Where do we get the biggest impact? Um, where's the low hanging fruit as well? It's not always going after the big impact things. It's sometimes it's the smaller things you can go after that actually make a big difference to a very small group. Um, yeah. And that can have a biggest impact rather than, you know, rather than getting all women in our region paid exactly the same as, as our male counterparts. Why, do you, why don't you focus on some things that actually you can implement very, very quickly um, and leave little sign off or you can convince people very easily to do. So I, I kind of feel like it's it is a lot of juggling. But it's also just having the landscape to understand, yeah, where is my impact? Where and what can I do quickly? Which, again, is quite a strategic kind of decision, isn't it? Um, and it's something mm. that I've kind of had to do a lot of uh, and, and convince clients on priorities. And, um, yeah, you can go and spend this, but it's going to take you three years to launch it. Or you could go and do this <laughs> and uh, test yeah. whether it works really quickly. And if it doesn't, you withdraw kind of thing. So, yeah, I think that's that's something that I think is something I've had to do a lot in my career but also where people a lot of people struggle here especially there's limited resources you know despite mm. how populous the region is there's still there's still very few people working in roles here um yeah yeah that's true I think the other thing is you've got to have a a, a good amount of courage <laughs> I think to to try things with no budget, to convince people to give you a go having yeah. a try at something. Um, and I see that lacking quite a bit. Quite a it, bit. it is. And I do think there is a bit of a personality. I'm not afraid to speak up. And I know this is a, this is a big challenge mm. we see across the region, especially, um, you know, it's that kind of... Um, it's the old adage, oh, you know, Asian women don't speak up, for example. That we hear so often. It isn't always the truth. Some of the feistiest women I know are, are, are Asian. Um, but, you know, my, I don't, I'm not afraid to, to, to voice my opinion. Sometimes I have to hold back my opinion in some instances. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's that having that courage to speak up and try things and suggest things. And, you know, even if somebody says no, at least you know why they're saying no. Or at least you know where their, their opinion is. Um uh, yeah, so I think that's that is another challenge for some people. I, you know, some of my colleagues I've spoken to in the past, so quite quiet, you know, even if I'm in the wrong with an assumption, they haven't necessarily dared to question or challenge me when I think I'm quite open to taking kind of feedback on board. So I think um yeah, that's another big challenge, I think, is you've got to you've got to have the attitude to challenge and to to push and and drive. And not everybody not everybody has that and there's a place for everybody in business, but um that's not going yeah. to get lots of things done. Yeah. I wondered if you'd be interested in, um, but before I hit the record button, you were telling me about some research and a, a thesis that you'd put together on data and measuring inclusion. Yeah. And I thought it was so interesting and I wondered if you would like to share a little piece of that. Yeah, so basically I've been, um, when when some people were, crafting uh, sourdough recipes during lockdown and um, I decided I was going to do a master's um I had a lot of did. time on my hands um <laughs> and I and Singapore has a great opportunity if you're permanent resident like I am um the government is 
invests, well, really invests in certain sectors, a certain um, education areas. So mm-hmm. I done, I've done a master's in digital management. This is a long form story, but uh, I did it. I've done a, a master's in digital management, um, which is very much a skill that Singapore government values. So sort of um, long term vision, how um, technology impacts workplace or work impacts business. Um, forecasting, uh, design thinking, et cetera. So they're all values that Singapore government is really seeking for in their in employees mm. or in their talent. So as PR, I was really lucky to get um, my master's at a very good kind of rate. So I embarked on that in the middle of lockdown, finally finished in the last few weeks. And my thesis was really around, you ha- it had to be around technology and business and an area you're passionate about. So I basically put forward that the way that we measure inclusion today is, it's not done correctly. It's not done very effectively. Uh, the vast majority of businesses measure at one point in time. You might have a few questions that derive your kind of inclusion score or value that you you have, but even then you're not asking it on a daily basis. You're asking it kind of a couple of times a year at best. Most people, I would Gosh. say, it's possibly once a year in some sort of engagement survey. Or once every, like, two years or three years. Yeah. <laughs> so you you might have a score, but you don't really know what's going on behind it. So my, my research basically showed that, obviously, as you can imagine, our absolute level of inclusion is driven by many, very many different factors. And you can basically group people into what drives them to be um, feel more included. For some, it could be recognition. For some, it could be, you know, access to senior talent. For others, it's much more about the benefits offered. Some people, it could be flexibility. You know, if you're a mum with small kids, how how flexible your business is really drives how included you feel, how how welcome do you feel in the business? Um, so aside from the fact it's it's not just one measure, it, we know that different things dive different elements of inclusion for different people. Um, and that's going to be different for everybody. Although you can kind of you can kind of hypothesize what that might yeah. be for different different groups if you if you know your if you know your audiences. Um, so yeah, basically my my um research was really showing that A, we shouldn't be measuring like that. We should be measuring it much shorter dips, but how do you do that in a in a different way? And ultimately, you need to understand what is driving those inclusion scores, because you can have an inclusion score. And if you don't know what's going on, then you can't do anything about it. So really, my my idea is around having team leaders being able to look at their inclusion score in more detail, but knowing what the factors are. So the fact that you've got 71 percent inclusion doesn't mean much. But actually, if you know your team's had really long hours recently or you've had sickness in the team and, you know, people have had to pull their weight in a different way or your team scores have gone up and actually you've had big bonuses that month. You know, it's kind of, it's understanding what are the drivers behind your score is is more important because then you can remedy it before it's too late. So way before somebody is so fed up and doesn't feel included enough that they are already looking for jobs or have jobs elsewhere. So basically, it's preempting exit interviews, really understanding how people are feeling. Um, and yeah, it's, it's several thousand words of paper, but that's kind of it in a nutshell <laughs> and how it, how it works and how you use data and how you use analytics and how you use technology to gather that data. Um, is really what the paper's around. Yeah. I don't think I'll ever publish it formally, but uh, <laughs> it's certainly been, it's certainly been really insightful. And I think 
for me, it's about how, well, how do you unlock conversations with um, employee analytics teams? How do you you have to manage things like uh, data consent and obviously make sure people are reassured around things? You don't want people constantly being asked, "Do you feel included? Do you feel included? How do you feel? How do you feel?" So how do you <laughs> get annoyed. around all of that? Yeah, how do you how do you get around that? Um, and then the other thing that the the, th- the other thing that came through with my research was that you know a lot of people feel that. People are either included or they're not. Yet it's very much a spectrum, very much a scale. I might not feel so included, but mm. I'm not. It's not enough for me to go and look for another job. Other people, there may be one significant thing that happens to them, and you can go from included to not included overnight. Um, yeah. And we don't take into account that either. So how do you how do you manage that sort of thing as well? Yeah. Oh, that's so interesting. And even as you were talking, many organisations will do an engagement survey, and they might put six or eight questions about inclusion and belonging inside that survey. I always think, are you getting enough detail? Like, is that is that giving you rich enough data and deep enough data to actually do something with? Or is it just giving you, it's just giving you a really short insight onto a really narrow range of things? Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think that's where, I think that's where the kind of qualitative side of my experience comes through as well that you can have that mm. want but you need to have the stories you need to have actually well what is it because frankly if you're sat, if you're standing up to a board and presenting and telling them that it's like 71 percent of x mm. well what's happening is that 29 percent. what are the stories that drive that 29 percent to not be included and it it's telling those real life stories within the business yeah but you've got to know the stories are true and you've got to you've got to capture the stories in a different way um and, you know, even my recent experience, you know, telling some stories about, you know, some transgender colleagues and some of the situations they've had. You know, our UK team didn't didn't know that any of this at all. And like just yeah. how you tell those stories and how you deliver them in a, in a different way is that's what's key. You know, we're all humans at the end of the day. And yes, we use data, but it's also the connection. If you hear a real real life story and you can almost see that happening, that's that's when data makes sense to you and you buy into yeah. it and believe it. Yeah. I've really seen that having run a big inclusion survey and then spending time in focus groups with the different demographics that we had in the survey and saying, tell it, tell us why it is. Tell us why this score is so low. And yeah. those stories become so powerful when you put them in front of a leader. You know, it's, it's a switch from, okay, this is a really bad score. And here's the story why. And yeah, that human connection of like, Oh, I'm so. They feel so awful that that's happened in their business, and you know they don't they don't want that to happen. They're humans; they want people to be yeah. well and looked after. The catch twenty two is you have to be a reasonably inclusive business for people to even feel like they can speak up, though. Even in even in focus group situations, mm. when pe- when you're assuring people on anonymity and how it's reported, people are still often reluctant to feedback. So it's it, you know it's it is a complex space. Um, but you need to have those stories because that's when people are like, oh, my goodness, is that what's happening to my business? And you can see yeah. what's actually happened and you can imagine, yeah, you know what? I do know that team and I do I do kind of get it. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. What, um, what are you hopeful about in the future in this work? Well, I mean, I say my, my, my master's has been around technology. Um, I think... I think we're not using tech enough in the right way at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like, I, I feel like DNI is going to change an awful lot in the next couple of years as there's more, there's more products that come through that help can, can help support our roles. 
but they all need to be used effectively. And I think at the minute, there's quite a lot of pushback on some things, you know, uh, again, part of my master's yeah. was like auditing, auditing where a lot of the technology is today. A lot of it is in acquisition uh, and not a lot of it is kind of in ongoing kind of um, monitoring yep. and evaluation. Um, so I feel like we've got to have foot in both camps. We need to be human, but we also, we we have now the ability to be able to use technology and data in different ways. The amount of data we capture most businesses would capture automatically and that's not even signing up for i know that you are this 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 the kind of data that we have within business about how people are behaving and potentially how they're feeling if you can kind of if you can track it i think is is really really powerful but there's i feel like there's a lot of reluctance so i i i would like people to be more open to kind of really exploring that data really exploring kind of how tech can help um it's got to be used properly and that that's the kind of the big challenge I think we see is the business that other than what you've already discussed in terms of stakeholder management and things like that, that almost the abundance of data makes it really hard to understand what we should be focusing on and having the ability to really be able to have those data conversations and knowing your stuff around data is going to be really, really key for people. I think, um, I think we've moved away from policies and things like that. It's much more, I mean, well, policies are always going to exist, aren't they? But I think it's much more about <laughs> thinking laughing. about the future. <laughs> <laughs> thinking about the future if we want to be an employee of choice in the future we need to be much more forward thinking in terms of how how we measure things how we manage things how we understand yeah. things in a, in a completely different way um yeah and I'm yeah I'm quite excited by that but I also know it's quite difficult <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah yeah and um I think there's still a range of organizations playing catch up they they their policies are not inclusive their benefits are not inclusive and so for many organisations, they can't think forward because they've got to fix oh, the platform yeah. that they have now, um, which is a big challenge. It's a big challenge. It's a lot of work. Yeah, and I think obviously yeah. what's concerning at the moment is, you know, cuts in budgets. Where's that cut going from? You know, is, is it people? Is it is it projects? Is it um, is it product? Like analytics and things like that. Yeah. Um, that's That's very concerning that, you know, people won't have talent left within their businesses if they don't kind of catch on to things. And I think I think people are quite reactive to what's going on in the US um, at the minute. And, you know, there's certain areas of your business you shouldn't be cutting in these days. <laughs> and <Yep. laughs> by it, I'm biased, but I would say DNI is one of them. Um, you know, security and cybersecurity is the other, but, um, you know, yep. it's, um, yeah. Yeah, I agree. It's been delightful speaking to you, Charlotte. Thank you so much. Thank you. I love doing it. I've, you know, I've obviously watched you for well over a year doing these podcasts, and I'm always <laughs> like, why hasn't she asked me yet to do I this? know. I feel very bad. And then I did ask you, and you're like, oh, no, I'm too busy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. It goes both ways, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but thank you so much. Thank you. I loved it. At The Culture Ministry, we know how challenging and lonely it can be working in diversity and inclusion, and how progress is often slow. You might be just getting started in diversity and inclusion, or you might be on your way. The Culture Ministry is here to help you with your diversity and inclusion progress. Go to www.thecultureministry.com to learn more. If you enjoyed this episode and maybe learned something, Please share with your friends on social media, give a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, and leave a comment. 
This makes it easier for others to find a dog called diversity.